planet's on fire It's a real code red Got us by the balls for being slow bled All the swollen puppet head Propagandized Big chocolate points Flat outlines A house full of mirrors It's a lousy reflection Run hard left It's a true direction Democracy's in trouble This news is a fake Everything we fought for was truly at stake Border to border, coast to coast It's time to cue the talent and meet our hopes It's a podcast by George All right, folks, it's showtime Hello, hi, how are you? Welcome on in to another podcast by George. Well, I'm happy to be able to get him back. It's Paul Jace coming on the podcast by George Liveline. We're doing a recording here to get this straight, get it right. We had some technical difficulties on the internet in the previous show, but uh, I'm sure this is going to be good, and you're going to like this because this guy's on top of it. He's all over it. He's an authority, and for folks that may not know, Paul Jay is a journalist and filmmaker. He's the founder and host of the Analysis.News, a video and audio current affairs interview and commentary show and website. Uh, Paul's films have won numerous awards at major festivals around the world. He's the past chair of the Documentary Organization of Canada and was the founding chair of the Hot Docs Canadian International Documentary Festival. And, of course, I, you know me, I'm a hockey guy, so i got to love Canadians, folks. Jay was the uh, co-creator and co-executive producer a face-off and counterspin up there, a nightly primetime debate program that ran for 10 years on CBC News World. And, of course, he was the founder of the Real News Network based in Baltimore. I think that's where he spends most of his time now. And he's currently working on no, a... No, no, no. Okay. Oh, you're in Toronto. Okay, great. Uh, he's currently working on a documentary series with uh, Daniel Ellsberg based on Ellsberg's book, the Doomsday Machine. And i got to bring this up on screen real quickly here because it's a nice segue, and we've talked about so many things. On the front page of the New York Times just today, and this one I want to get to, Paul, and maybe we'll just foreshadow a little bit and bring you back on to talk about it more in depth. But it's a situation in Ukraine, and you can, again, uh, Paul's a great uh, historian. Uh, you can straighten me out here because I've just got kind of a Midwestern rubes understanding or perspective on this. But you had the USSR broke down because of economics um, and Ukraine went out on its own. But Ukraine, a lot of people don't understand about a third of it, maybe a half of it is pro-Russia. And in, they had a guy that was in charge of that country that was, uh, you know, a friend of Russia. In 2014, there was a coup in Ukraine. They overthrew that country. The United States was actively supporting that. I mean, they supported it, actively supported it. Now, um, we've got this situation where NATO and the United States is uh, looking to have a big presence in Ukraine, which is right on the border of Russia. And if we remember what Paul was talking about earlier with these nuclear weapons and the Cuban Missile Crisis as an example, look what the United States did. It went to the brink of World War III over missiles pointed at us in Cuba. Well, this is right across the border from Russia. Now, I'm not a big Putin friendly. I mean, I don't want to be an apologist for this guy, but he's looking at this going, what in the hell? And the other segue is um, 
the energy thing that Paul was talking about, because there's this Nord Stream 2 pipeline up there that's going to run a gas pipeline into Eastern Europe. Russia wants that a lot. This uh, United States-Ukraine involvement down there could prevent that from happening. So you've got this Russian population that would like to rejoin Russia. That's a big part of this. They're actually, I think, pleading with Putin to bring us back in. You've got this situation with NATO and the United States staring right across the border into into Russia, and Putin doesn't want that with the weaponry pointed at him. And then you've got Nord Stream 2, the pipeline. All these things are in play, and it looks like Russia has some limited options here. I mean, it looks to me like they might strike, Paul. Uh, how imminent is it? First of all, you made a very serious error in the very beginning of this show, and you called me an authority. You are really wrong. <laughs> I'm not an authority on anything. Um, I've just had a few years of talking to a lot of smart people, and I can remember some of it. Um, so, so when it comes to the Ukraine, I'm really not an authority. But I, I, I can just put this into context somewhat, because there's a, a lot of people that can talk about the specifics of the situation better than I do. There's a lot of talk about the U.S. empire. And a lot of people want to make the U.S. empire out as if it's the devil. I'm not one of those people. And I think the term U.S. empire, and I'm not saying it doesn't exist, sort of, but it gets overused and it covers up something. The real issue is the global capitalist system mm. of which the U.S., call it empire if you want, is the dominant, by far the dominant, power. Although we'll see, because they say by in 15, 20 years, the Chinese GDP might surpass the American, and then we'll see. But it's still the dominant, by far dominant power. But it's a global capitalist system. Within a global capitalist system, different capitalist powers, countries, have their own agendas. There are some serious differences that can happen even between the United States and Canada over trade. Uh, Europe is constantly competing with the United States for influence in Eastern Europe, for example, for markets and other ways. Um, there's tremendous competition takes place uh, in terms of arms sales, with France and Germany competing with the United States uh, and England competing. You just saw this submarine deal where the yeah. French lost this big contract to Australia. Australia, yeah. A lot of global politics is driven by two things, the arms trade and oil. And there's some real conflicts. Now, yes, Europe on the whole, Western Europe, Europe, is under the general framework of American-led global capitalism, as is almost the entire world. I mean, what countries aren't, except to some extent, Russia, you know, the Soviet Union was out of it completely, more or less. And Russia, with the rise of uh, a Russian state that could actually defend Russian sovereignty, as opposed to what was happening in the free-for-all of the 1990s after the fall of the Soviet Union, where the United States thought they were going to be able to come in and grab all the natural resources of, uh, of Russia, and to their horror, American and Western Europe's horror, uh, the, the American, uh, sorry, the Russian 
And many of them who had been in the party became oligarchs and they grabbed all the oil and natural resources. <laughs> and what a piss off that was to the West. What is it? You bloody Russians think you're going you're to take the stuff, steal yeah. all these resources that used to be public? No, yeah. we want to steal them. And we want to control the banking system. How dare you have your own banking yeah. system? Right. So this is a contradiction between oligarchies. An American oligarchy. Various European oligarchies, the Russian oligarchy. This is a contradiction between capitalist states. Now, yes, most of Europe has found a way to work within the American system. The Russians are a, a, have a problem working within the system, even though they wanted to. I mean, Russia wanted to join NATO, and they wouldn't let them. Why? NATO was supposed to be to you know, to, to quote Gore Vidal, fight the godless communists. Yeah. Well, what happened? You lost. They're not godless communists. Jesus, they're, you can't get more religious than the Putin and his uh, Orthodox Russian church yeah. that he's closely aligned to. So all of a sudden you have everything you wanted. Christ is back in Moscow. So why don't you let them into NATO? Bad How about business. another question? Yeah. How about another question? Why have NATO? If, if the godless communists are gone, what right. is NATO for? Yeah. Well, obviously, it's because of arms sales. Right. It's, it's, it's excuses to pass money. Like, what is it? The Biden administration just announced a $200, $200 million uh, subsidy to Ukraine to buy arms. Oh, you're so generous. Who are you buying the arms from, Ukraine? <laughs> It's That's a pass-through. It's a money give laundering the money scheme. To the Ukrainians yeah. and the Ukrainians and give the money to American arms manufacturers. Yeah, same with the Saudis, yeah. Well, same with the Russians. The Russians have their own military-industrial complex. And the tenser things get on the border with Ukraine, the easier it is for Putin to justify increasing military expenditures and pleasing his own oligarchs and military-industrial complex. Uh, and for that matter, the Chinese have one too, but it's not as yet, not as pernicious as, as the Americans and Russians. Now, let me say, whenever I say something like this, the Americans are in a league of their own. Nothing compares with the scale of the war crimes, militarization, Yes. Foreign military bases, on and on. Like yes, nothing yes. the Russians, Chinese, or anybody else does. Combined. Close. Yeah. Combined. But that says that doesn't mean the Russians don't have their own oligarchical-driven agenda. But that agenda is not to invade and try to occupy anybody right now because it's a pain in the ass. Like, if it was profitable to invade, occupy, and dominate countries, wouldn't the Americans be doing it everywhere? Yeah, didn't work for us, yeah. It doesn't work. It hasn't worked since, like, the mid-1800s. Yeah. Old-style <laughs> colonization isn't profitable because people fight back. Yes. It's too hard to control. Yes. Now... Are the Russians meddling in Ukrainian politics? Are they going to try to, make, in one way or another, have a, a government in Ukraine that, that's more allied with them? Sure. Duh. Yeah, of course. And, and the Americans 
haven't done exactly the same thing. In fact, essentially having already organized a coup against the previous president who was aligned with Russia. Yeah. And the Americans do it everywhere. God, the Americans all, uh, completely interfered in the Canadian election in 1962 and, and dumped uh, Prime Minister Diefenbaker because he wouldn't accept nuclear weapons on Canadian soil. Mm, Not because he had anything against nuclear weapons, but he wanted the Canadian government to control them. And so Kennedy organized to uh, literally sent Lou Harris, the pollster, with a false name and a false passport to the U.S. Embassy in Ottawa. And he organized the campaign of Lester Pearson, who became prime minister, and let the nuclear weapons into Canada. Yeah, of course, the, uh, the Russian oligarchy tries to defend and expand and enrich itself, just like the American oligarchy. They just don't have the power the Americans do. So do I, I, I think, I think this is mostly saber rattling on the part of Putin. I think it's in as much tension as he can create. It, it, it triggers all this kind of cold war shit uh, in, the, in the American psyche and especially the, in the military industrial complex and all the hawks love this. Good for business. Yeah. Now, is he really thinking to invade this is my opinion and what the hell do I know because I'm no expert in this area or any other. But I doubt it. I think it's create as much tension as you can. Uh, make it really clear that Ukraine is not going to be part of NATO. And I, I would guess the Americans have, are going to and probably already have told him quietly that Ukraine is not going to be in NATO. There is no, I think that they have to have consensus of NATO, have a new member. There's no way all of Europe will agree to have Ukraine in NATO. Mm -hmm. The bigger issue in terms of threat is uh, these nuclear weapons systems that are in some of the countries that used to be in the Warsaw Pact and now are in NATO that can hit Moscow in four or five minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, that is a threat. But really, how big a threat? Do they really think, does Moscow really think they're going to fire nuclear weapons at the Soviet Union? Because there's, you know, there's something the Soviet Union has that so do the Americans have. And it doesn't matter if they can hit Moscow or whatever in four or five minutes. It's something called submarines. You cannot hit the Russian submarines any more than the, American, the Russians can hit American submarines. And the Russian submarines can throw plenty of nuclear weapons into the United States anytime. So just because you have some weapons near the border, it sounds threatening. But in reality, it really isn't threatening any more threatening than American submarines that can already do exactly that. Yeah. In fact, the submarines, the American submarines, are far more threatening than any missiles sitting in Eastern Europe because the Russians know where those are and they can target them. They can't target the submarines. The real deterrence in this world is the submarines, which is why Ellsberg, to go back to the beginning of the conversation, yeah. the number one thing that needs to be done immediately is eliminate ICBMs. Because they have no military value. They're just sitting duck targets 
or they're going to be used in a first strike, but they can't be used as a first strike against the subs. Mm. So you can't even really have the first strike and not get hit yourself. So it's all a kabuki theater. It's all bullshit. It's all for money making. Yes. But, and here's the big but, this can get out of control. And it can happen by accident. That's the other part That's of the That's my point. It can yeah. happen by accident. It can happen because some, they're, you know, they're playing this who can, you know, pissing game. Yeah. And it, it, can, it can spiral either out of control or by accident or a combination thereof. So it's extremely dangerous. And the danger isn't Russia invading Ukraine. The danger is this level of tension could trigger a nuclear war, even if all the best reasonable people on both sides don't want it. And we almost had that during the Cuban Missile Crisis. So so they should stop the bullshit. And the Democratic Party, any progressives in the Democratic Party should speak up and and denounce this Russia-phobia this hearkening the demons of the Cold War, which is yeah. what they did with this Russian interference in the elections. Yes. You know, like I kept saying at the time, yeah. I don't give a shit if the Russians interfered in the elections. Yeah. We do if it all the time. If everything they yeah. said about what they did was true. It's not worth destroying the world over. It doesn't come close yeah. to undermining American democracy, to what the American oligarchy's done to American democracy. Not even close. And it didn't yeah. affect the real outcome of the election. Yeah. And uh, all the packs so, and all the money. So my, be, uh, do I know if they're going to invade or not? I doubt it. No. I think it's, uh, it's all for show. I could be wrong. I hope you're right. But uh, it doesn't mean it isn't very dangerous. Yeah, because, uh, you know, I used to say on the show, particularly in 2020, that uh, we live in a 2020 world where uh, we could all be dead in 20 minutes from an accidental strike from a nuclear submarine, or we could all be dead in 20 years from climate change. That's the 2020 world that we live in. And like I said, Putin's sitting there looking at uh, the Ukraine thinking, shit, it could be four or five minutes (laughs) where where he's at. I mean, this is the tension that's good for that complex that uh, Paul talked about that's good for business, but it could end it all for everyone. And that kind of brings us full circle here with the Doomsday Machine and the movie that he's working on with Daniel Ellsberg. Again, I want to promote that. I'm going to be looking for that movie. Uh, That's going to be a great documentary. And uh, again, want to mention that Paul Jay, our guest today, thanks uh, for coming on board the live line. He's a journalist and filmmaker. He's the founder and host of the Analysis dot news i'm going to super that uh during the show here it'll be a chiron a lower third that runs so that people can go there as well and paul i'm just going to give it to maybe to you for for uh, other websites or urls you would like to see i on say the show. one thing before yeah. we finish yeah because it's, it's been pretty doom and gloom yeah in the last hour and 20 minutes yeah it has yeah there's some very important organizing going on now yeah. Um, there's a lot of big strikes across the country. Um, a lot of unions have become far more active in organizing unorganized workers. Um, there's some really interesting organizing going on in places like West Virginia, uh, where they're really working uh, uh, to elect progressive at all kinds of levels of government and eventually to challenge Manchin or people like Manchin. Um, that's where we need to turn our attention. Yes. 
you know, you talk about geopolitics, as we have been, and, and even the domestic politics and the rise of Christian fascism and all this. Um, most of the people involved who are the sort of ordinary people that get embroiled in these things, what do they want? They want their family to be healthy. They want their kids to be safe. They want to have a job. They don't want to worry about losing their house and going bankrupt. And, and amongst many of the Christians, many, they want and believe in the Jesus of forgiveness and love, not the Christianity of the Crusades, which is what <laughs> Christian nationalism is. People can talk to people. Organizing can take place. I don't think this situation is hopeless. I don't think we should write off the 75 million people that voted for Trump, and right now it's looking like even more might. Uh, far from it. Uh, the, the organizing won't be done by the corporate Democrats. Uh, progressives working in the party, I think, are making a contribution. Um, I don't see how there's any other party that can be established in the time frame we have, uh, except maybe in local races, and that might work, even maybe in some states, I don't know. Um, but but the, uh, the threat of the far right, uh, we have to balance this threat of the far right, the rise of this Christian fascism, fascism and the real character of corporate Democrats, but at least, at least in some areas it, it gives room to organize. Like right now in West Virginia, there's organizing going on, yeah. really good organizing. If Christian nationalists all out, full out, ran West Virginia, I think those people would be in jail. Mm -hmm. I don't think you'd have any real organizing going on in West Virginia right now. Uh, be, and it's because this, this real fascistic force has not consolidated its control in, in that area. Um, but we could be looking at areas like it was you know, before the Civil Rights Movement or even during you know, where cops would go out and assassinate organizers and activists. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Trump practically called for that during the Black Lives Matter uh, protest. You know, throw these people in jail for decades, I think was his quote. Dog whistler, Well, yeah. that is what they will do. And, and, we, and, and progressives who think there's no difference between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, I think are being delusional the level of repression will be far greater. Why? I'll go back to an earlier point and then I'll be done. <laughs> Not because the corporate Democrats are nicer guys. They like to think of themselves as nicer guys. And that does play somewhat of a role. No, it's because their constituency in the big cities won't go along with that kind of shit. So they can't, they can't play the same role the Republicans play. And as I say, they don't really, in terms of how they see themselves, they're great believers. They can have capitalism without its excesses. They really believe it. And it's, of course, it's nonsense, but they think so. So, so it's a very complicated situation, but it's not hopeless by any means. Um, we, all of us, need to figure out how to, if you can't actually get trained to organize yourself, support people that are. Uh, I'm really, I, I said in my New Year's message, uh, 
you know, we're at the analysis really going to try to focus more on uh, letting people know who are the organizers, what are the obstacles they're facing, and, and, and try to uh, articulate better some of the issues that are confusing people that are getting duped by this uh, rising fascism or duped by the corporate Democrats because, you know, I said before the last election, yeah, people should vote for Biden, but without illusions. And those illusions are very dangerous. So, you know, we got to speak the whole truth, not just uh, some partisan truth. Ah, that's great. That's a great place to leave it. And folks, go to the analysis.news. Uh, subscribe, get the newsletter, uh, contribute, uh, support Paul's work so that we continue to get this kind of truth-telling. Paul, Jay, thanks again for coming on this edition, uh, long version here of a podcast by George. Thanks very much, George. And folks, if you like podcasts by George and guests like Paul Jay, go to podcastbygeorge.com. Just pick an icon, a platform there where you'd like to subscribe. Click on the little badge. It'll take you straight to that location. Facebook's a good example. YouTube, uh, Stitcher, you know, the uh, uh, Spotify, even uh, places like that. And you'll get each and every episode and be notified when new shows are released. But that's going to do it. So we're going to leave it there for right now. This is just going to be the first segment. We're going to come back with Paul, and that'll be in the next episode coming up. And make sure you don't miss that one, because this is great. But this is the end of this particular segment.